Hey y'all, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. It's an honor to be in your ears as it is. Every single time I record, it's my favorite day to record intros to the podcast because what's so special about it is that I know what you're about to hear and I think it's incredible. Uh, Today's episode is with a dear friend, Scott Harrison, founder and CEO of Charity Water, which Charity Water, without a doubt, is my favorite organization, uh, my favorite charity for a number of reasons, not just because I'm good friends with, with Scott, not just because it goes towards eradicating the lack of access to clean drinking water, which I think contributes to something like 50% of the illness worldwide. Those are two really good reasons. One of the reasons that I love Charity Water is because it has been transformative. It's been a leader in the space, not dissimilar to what Tesla has done for cars or Apple has done for for phones or technology or pick your favorite brand. They've been transformational. And this particular episode is about transformation. We do get to sit down with Scott and hear about his new book. He's been on the he's been on the show before. Uh, also, super powerful episode. And we do there's a little bit of crossover just for the folks who there's enough new here. If you haven't heard, if you saw the or if you watched the last one, that you're still going to de- devour this because this is a story not just about Charity Water, but it's about Scott. Scott's path of redemption from a life of drugs, alcohol, booze, pornography, basically every vice you can you can put under the sun, Scott was engaged in as a mechanism for escaping his life. And then he transformed. He, through a personal vision and mission, decided to change. And what it, it, it's not just a story of redemption, it's a, it's a story of reminding all of us that there's power to change within us, that there's power to grow, there's power to reinvent, and I know you're gonna devour and love this episode. So stand by, <laughs> it's coming at you. I can't wait also, it's really important for me that you hear this crisply. The book Thirst is Scott's book. All the proceeds uh, from this book go towards the charity. So this is a story of redemption, of compassion, and a mission to bring clean water to the world. Please join me in supporting this book and the cause Charity Water. I can't wait for you to hear Scott's story. And I'm going to get out of the way here. And just a quick word from our sponsor before we do. And I'll be right back. New sponsor alert. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, Or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. You know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. 
So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or, or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world on Creative Live. So yes. Yeah, I was joking with your team. I invited myself back. And I was like, hey, Chase, can I come back on? And then uh, I think I realized we're probably both wearing the same thing we were the first almost time we did it. Almost identical. Black on black. I'm like, wow. So I invite myself back and I wear the same jeans and the same shirt. I could have at least... In the, same hotel, in, in the same hotel. In the same hotel. But at least you're consistent. So. That's right. I'll take it. I'll take it. Hey, man, anytime I can get an hour with you uh, is, is a great hour. Uh, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, man. Second Thanks of all, for having me. Holy smokes, congratulations on your book. Thank you. Thank um, you. I love it when, when my friends do things and they say, hey, I want to come back on the show. To me, like it, the, the second I heard that you've got a book deal, I knew that we would be doing this. I'm super passionate about the cause. Um, we have a history together. We've hosted some events yep. um, on Charity Water's behalf yep. on the we other do coast. Something in Seattle again. Yeah, right? it's been it's been a minute. Um, but it, it seems like a lot has happened. Yeah, you, you've had a couple. When of was the last time? It was two years. Uh, year and a half. Yeah, at two least years ago. Okay. Two, so, yeah, two years ago. I think um, kids. Yeah. Yeah, you've had <laughs> children since then. Um, obviously, the the uh, Charity Water just continues to grow. And congratulations there. Uh, I'm hoping to to cover a fair bit of ground. Let's I want, do it. I want to focus on the book, uh, of course. But within the book, there are stories, and there's stories within those stories. I want to hear a little bit about the gala. Um, I have yet to make it across the country, and I'm bringing it to you this year. Yep, closer. It's in that, San Francisco, so. and to me, that that makes me very joyful. Um, and we also can talk about anything you want to talk about because cool. this is, you know, Mikasa Sukasa. So. We're gonna to go to the book, and I'm gonna start okay. this little. I think it's it's first of all, kudos, incredible. I'm gonna read the sort of the the um, the back of the book because I think it does a nice job. Okay. And then we get all that out of the way. Yeah, and again, and it, but it goes like this: At 20 years old, Scott Harrison had it all. As a top nightclub promoter in New York City, his life was an endless cycle of drugs, booze, models, and repeat. But 10 years in and desperately unhappy, morally bankrupt, he asked himself, what would the exact opposite of my life look like? Walking away from everything, Harrison, that's you, spent the next 16 months on a hospital ship in West Africa discovering his true calling. In 2006, with no money and even less experience, he founded Charity Water. Today, his organization has raised over $300 million to bring clean drinking water to more than 8 million people around the globe. There's another two paragraphs I'm not, <laughs> not going to read, but I think the story, what, why I wanted to read that rather than unpack it, because we have another, we spent 90 minutes together on a previous podcast, yeah. and I think we, we talked a lot about the initial formula, formation of yep. Charity Water. Yep. To me, I, I want to, because this book is really a, a memoir, Right, it's a story of redemption, compassion, and a mission to bring clean drinking water to the world. I want to focus on the you part of this. So, what I also remember is your mother was very sick. Yep. Uh, and that is one of the things that caused you to to. I think you've cited like that's. Uh, I wanted to go do the opposite of taking care of my sick mother. Yeah. But give us early, early 
Scott, like how did you decide that this life of uh, being a club promoter was something that you wanted? Incorporate your sick mother, if you would, and then catapult us to, we don't need to, to go too deep into the, the drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. I think that's a, a chapter that we covered pretty deeply last time. Yeah. But then start with Charity Water. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when you spend 18 months writing 100,000 words, which is really, what, 150,000 words to get to 100,000 words. Um, you know, it does give a little, it, it, it gives a slightly different perspective. Um, in, in some way, it's, it's, it's cliche. <laughs> like, my story is, is um, it, it, it almost feels like I lived out the parable of the prodigal son, you know, or the rebel... <laughs> The rebellion, right? It's, yeah. it's it's like the movie, you know, that, oh, that like, like somebody a, sat like, around and like, okay, yeah. uh, you know, uh, repressive, kid, repressive childhood, yeah. religious childhood, um, sick mother, sick mom, right? Feel sorry for the kid, like okay, then rebels, and then like sex, drugs, rock and roll, and then sees the light, redemption, and, you know, redemption, right? It's almost like that kind of, you know, the it was done on a whiteboard, you know, after a bunch of cocktails, so. Um, you know, of course, it was my story, and I lived it. Um, I was four. There was a carbon monoxide gas leak in our house. Uh, our whole family got sick. There were three of us, dad, mom, uh, me, and mom was the only one that didn't recover. And she was an invalid. She was allergic to the world. Uh, people thought she was crazy because you can't really see what happens when carbon monoxide destroys one's immune system and her body's ability to function normally in the world, to fight off chemicals or I was just uh, at my parents uh, my dad's house uh, this weekend reading letters and there was this excoriating letter to me because I came home and I didn't change my clothes and some aftershave had gotten on my clothes and it made mom deathly ill so my oh. childhood was just this this wow. bizarre childhood of keeping mom safe keeping her pure uh, I would, I, we lived in this sterile environment almost. She actually lived after the illness or after the, the carbon monoxide exposure. Anything chemical made her sick from perfume to car fumes to the, the ink from books. Like if she held this book um, because this is new ink, mm -hmm. it would make her sick. So if and when she you wanted say sick, like what kind of sick? Uh, like? Migraines, uh, hypertension, oh. vomiting, nausea. Oh. Uh, to read as a child, I would bake her books. So I would put these things in the oven to try to get the smell of the print or the ink out. And, or I would put them out on the back lawn. So I just found a childhood photo of, of 50 books just lying out there in the sun, baking them in the sun in the oven. And then I would take the book up to mom's bathroom where she lived. She lived in a tile-covered bathroom with aluminum foil uh, surrounding the door. She lived in an army cot that had been washed 20 times in baking soda to get any smells out. And you know, oh she was gosh. nestled in between the sink and the toilet and the tub. And I would come up and I'd knock on her door and say, Mom, I have a book. You know, I think I got all the smell out. And she would put on hot cotton gloves because if she touched the ink, it would get in her bloodstream and she'd get sick. Then she would wear this crazy charcoal mask that smelled like disease. And then she could read the baked or burned, you know, slightly charred book. So that was just, that's, that was what childhood was like. It was weird. My friends thought mom was crazy. Even my dad, uh, we, we struggled this yeah. with this. Was it in her head? Because there's just no, you know, the car, her carbon monoxide levels detected in the blood were, um, were far, far above what anyone ever should have, you know, 10 times the smokers or something crazy. Wow. But 
you couldn't see the symptoms. It's so um, hard. That's like pain. And you know, hear these um, fibromyalgia stories where they mm -hmm. don't know what the pain is, and that's very, very real. But the symptoms are so generic, and Western medicine hasn't. It seems interesting to me that there was an, a very clear event where, yeah. like, we're caught, we were lucky to yeah. have that. I mean, we found the leak. My mm -hmm. dad ripped the furnace out, found the little pinhole cracks uh, with a with an HVAC guy, and you know, I, I write about this in the book, but. My parents had a deep, authentic Christian faith. They were non-denominational Christians and they decided not to sue the gas company for gross negligence. Probably could have gotten millions and millions of dollars. The gas company came out two or three times and said, everything's fine. Ooh. And then it was actually dad's HVAC friend who ripped the thing out and said, everything's not fine. You got a carbon dioxide leak in your house. So they didn't sue. Uh, and, and I grew up in the the church uh, playing by the rules. I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't cuss, I didn't sleep around. I played piano on Sunday mornings. And then something happened at 18 and I said, what would the opposite of that look like? You know, what would it look like to drink, smoke and sleep around and gamble and travel around the world and join a band and grow my hair down to my shoulders? And what would all of those things that I'm not allowed to do feel like? Let me, let me stick a pen on this for a second. So how old were you when your mother's, uh, or the four. accident happened? Four. That, that, uh, wow. So four years old, mm -hmm. and from, f from four, you probably, there was a lot of uh, caretaking from not just your father, yeah. but from everyone. Yeah. Right? You talked just about baking, us, yeah. Yeah, baking books. And, and at 18, is this, a, is this a, are you fed up? Is it like, what's the, what's the, the yeah. mental bit that you flipped in your head? Well, I changed. Cause it's more than was, what's the opposite of this. Cause no I, 18 year old says that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually fair. It's good that you pushed on it. I mean, I was this kind kid who wanted to take care of mom, who mm -hmm. wanted to be a doctor when I grew up. Uh, I would do the cooking for her. I would help clean the house. I was, I had this depth of compassion as I aged into a teenager the compassion dwindled, the angst rose, and you know, mom would sit outside most of the day in a lawn chair in a lean-to that a, that a friend would build in the backyard. And she would yell to me, you know, yelling, get me this, or get, I just started to resent that. I would ignore yeah. her. You know, that, that teenager, you're, you're, uh, Your there world was, is like you. <laughs> I, I'll give you an example. Um, she would say that electromagnetic, electromagnetic radiation made her sick. So therefore, no TV or radio, okay? Well, as a teenager, I'm like, you're crazy. You just don't want me to watch TV, right? You I just don't want me to listen to the radio. Yeah. So it felt like rules. So uh, it, it, I, I write about this as well. There was a moment as a teenager where I didn't believe her and I take a radio after she's gone to sleep and I sneak down the corridor and I face this boombox at her bed through the door but I turned the volume all the way off. This so is she'd have no way of knowing. And she wakes up the next morning scared, incredibly sick, not knowing, because I thought it was in her head. I thought it was right. psychosomatic. Yeah. So it was, it was stuff like that. It was just starting to say, uh, is this real? And, and I, I want my life. In some ways I had sacrificed so much of my childhood. I wanted a normal mom. I wanted yeah. to do normal things. And that led me to New York City. When I first came to New York, I joined a band and we started playing CBGBs and Wetlands and all these amazing clubs at the time. The band broke up, yet another cliche, because of drugs and because of the fact we couldn't get along. And 
with the band breaking up, uh, I thought, well, I should probably go to college now, at least part-time, because dad saved up, and I was, you know, we weren't, we didn't have money growing up, middle, middle class, but he had started saving by the time I was born, and there was only one of me, so I reluctantly, like, as if I'm doing my parents this huge favor, I'm like, okay, I'll go to NYU. Take all your money and go to right? NYU. Take all your money, go to NYU. Of course, no scholarship, because my grades sucked, and I barely graduated high school. And, uh, you know, let me graduate with a communications degree, because that's the easiest thing I could think of, and, you know, I maybe went to half the classes, got C's, barely graduated. And then early on at 19, fell into nightclub promotion and couldn't believe that there was this job that, that existed, an actual job where people would pay you to consume alcohol. People would pay you to drink. It's like, what do you do for a living? Oh, I drink. And, and, and not only that, uh, Your friends brands drink. would pay you. Yeah. So we, at, we worked at 40 clubs, my business partner and I, over, over the decade. And at the top of our game, Bacardi was writing us a $4,000 check every month to be seen in public drinking Bacardi. And Budweiser said, well, we'll also pay you four grand a month. Can you just make sure when you're out at your clubs, you only drink Bud? Like, yes, we can. Yes, we can, funny thing. You know, um, four Gs a month, like, yes, we will drink Bud. I mean, it tastes disgusting, but we'll, you know, we'll drink it, it if it's paying the rent. So, uh, you know, everything that came with the, the territory, the, the decline in morality, the started with smoking. You know, I was doing a, an off-off-Broadway play for fun, and my character smoked. I'm like, well, I have to be a method actor, right? I should start smoking. So then that led to two to three packs a day for 10 years, and, wow. you know, starting to drink and, you know, starting to sleep around. It's like, well, you know, might as well just... All in now. Might as well go all in, right? I got nothing to lose. And, um, you know, pick a vice. Drinking, cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA, gambling, pornography, strip clubs. I mean, everything short of heroin uh, would have been a, a vice I'd taken on you know, over those 10 years. And it just left me really soulless. Um, you know, I, I don't think what was I, the moment you talked about? Well, it? it's, uh, it's almost like you know, the pot boiling, right? Well, you don't really know the moment is, is happening. And then, oh my gosh, my life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so I, don't think I, I think I was running from it. I was running from the realization that things were wrong um, I had put conscience way off to the side. I remember there was this churchy language growing up that, you know, Scott, don't allow your conscience to be seared. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like it's in a frying pan, right? Like it's a piece of tuna. <laughs> uh, but, but that's actually what happened. I mean, the more stuff you do and the more you don't own up to it, the more you lie, the more you uh, do drugs, you're like, well, that's just, I don't want to really think about the morality of that. So I, I had this moment, I was 28 years old and I was in South America and it was this amazing vacation and I had, I had collected most of the, the markers that I thought would lead to my happiness. You had the watch. I had the watch, I had the nice car, the Beamer, I had the nice piano in my apartment. My girlfriend was, you know, the most beautiful girl of everywhere we went and she was in the cover of fashion magazines and doing runway and, and I had this, it was almost like the game of musical chairs where the music stopped and I didn't have anywhere to sit down for the first time. You know, I'd, I'd always been the first one in the chair, like yeah. pointing my finger, making fun of, you know, whoever lost. And it was, it was just this, this strange cathartic moment where it's almost like the veil was lifted, a moment of clarity. 
amidst the opulence and the decadence and the magnums of Dom Perignon and the pure MDMA and the yacht and the thousand dollars of fireworks that we blew up in our backyard, uh, that there would never be enough. That there would never be enough girls, there'd never be enough money, there'd never be, somebody would always have a better watch and a better car and a better this. And it was this endless pursuit of selfishness and hedonism that, you know, it was, uh, it would have no end or it'd have no good end. And I guess I started, you know, coming up on 30, I was 28, so with the, the 30 milestone, so I started thinking about legacy. And yeah. said, my tombstone might actually read, here lies. You know, a selfish SOB who spent his life getting people wasted. And in fact, he got millions of people wasted. And, you know, who wants that on their tombstone? Yeah. Was there, was there some, so you talk about it as like a boiling pot. And you're, all of a sudden you look around and it's like, oh my God, it's boiling. Does that, do you have that feeling with other things in life? Like, uh, I'm trying to extrapolate. I, you're, mm -hmm. I don't want to pull you out of the journey here because it's going to drive the people at home who are listening to this story crazy, but it seems like that that is, uh, is very common, not just with lifestyle, not just with, with drugs or any sort of addictive or addictive behavior. Is that still, do you, does that have a place in your world anymore? Do you realize, like, are you working? Do you, do you like, go mm. off the deep end with work? Is this a, have you taken some of those vices and redirected them towards work in a good way, in a healthy way? Yeah, there's a moment where I almost burned out and I write about that and, and, and why I thought that was at least interesting to write about was because everybody told me I was gonna burn out for nine years. Yeah. And I was like, still going, just did 98 flights last year, right? 150 speeches, right? Unstoppable, I and mean, this is before kids. Sure. <laughs> Uh, but there was this, it was this frenetic pace of, again, you know, when I, when I did move over to Charity Water, it was completely redirected. Right now, I'm raising tens of millions of dollars for the poorest people in the world. You know, I mean, people are drinking. They're just drinking clean water. Yeah. Right? And, and it's the more you do, the more lives we save. You know, I was traveling to, I've been to 69 countries. I've been to Ethiopia 30 times. So I was seeing this. Yeah, the it, reaction, work, I would stand on a stage. Yeah, work in, money comes in. You know, fly to Berlin or, you know, fly to Phoenix and you stand on a stage and you tell the story, money comes in. And then a couple of days later, I'd be in Malawi or Ethiopia or Nepal and you'd see people drinking clean water. You know, it was cause and effect yeah, in the best sure. way possible. Not cause and effect, oh, we ran, rang 60 Gs in booze tonight, yeah. you know, in champagne, my cut's nine grand or, you know, it was, it was very different. So... Yeah, I did. I did. Just hit that wall, okay, and that so, was that okay. was kind of you know slow, slow, slow. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Until it's not oh my gosh, I'm really tired. I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> okay, go back, and I, I think I just I want to. I, I knew that about you. I just didn't know how we were going to get there. I didn't want it to be linear. So put a pin yeah. in that. Now let's go back to you. You. You shift gears at 28. You're like, what's what's going on? And. Take me to West Africa. Well, I come back from this vacation and, you know, a couple months of floundering because I, I, I got a change of heart, a change of conscience. I want my life to look different. I want to find my way back to lost faith, to lost morality. I want to feel clean. Uh, I felt dirty inside and, you know, I was morally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. And... 
it was hard. And then there's an incident that I write about in the book that was this great out. Um, something happened at a club and gave me, you know, a, a great reason to get out of town for a couple weeks. And with that added perspective, uh, I said, well, what if I never went back? And what then would be next? And what would the 180 degree turn look like? And the most extreme opposite I could think of was serving the poor in the poorest country in the world. Right, if I was serving the rich, thousand-dollar bottles of Cristal in you know one of the top cities in the world, New York City, and the, the clubs that you know, were ringing sixty G's a night, just we were selling vodka, Red Bull for twenty-five bucks. I mean, it was it's amazing a, what people would pay drink, for something. Right? Yeah, Thirty-cent drink, right? Or, yeah, cheap, cheap vodka even. So that was the idea: serve on a humanitarian mission, volunteer, don't get paid for it, and tithe back. Tithing being a very kind of Christian thing from my childhood, give one of the ten years that I'd selfishly wasted back. So I applied all these organizations that I've heard of, and the you know the Oxfam's and Save the Children's and UNICEF, and, <laughs> and of great, course, yeah. no one will take me. So I'm hidden. I'm shocked, right? I'm 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 this like club guy in New York. I can get a thousand people to stand outside a velvet rope and get excited about you know, ripping them off for cocktails, and I can't even volunteer my services for free. And as 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 you know, as it would turn out, only one organization finally accepted me under the conditions that I would pay them five hundred dollars a month and actually go live in the poorest country in the world on a mission to Liberia, which had just escaped a 14-year civil war. So I went looking for the opposite of my life, and there's probably nothing more opposite than selling $1,000 bottles of Cristal to then paying to go serve in post-war Liberia, a country with no electricity, no running water, no sewage, no mail system, just completely uh, ruined. It was actually, I remember at the time, it was actually, it had fallen off the UN development chart. It wasn't last, it was like, off. They're like, we just don't have any data. You know, it was, it was definitely last, but you know, so far, so last. far between last and second to last. And long story short, I joined a medical mission as a photojournalist. So I actually dusted off the NYU degree. Uh, some more irony there. The, the degree that I never used that I didn't want to get, you know, doing my parents this huge favor. Well, it turned out they did me a favor because I actually was qualified to do this humanitarian job as a photojournalist. I'd always taken pretty good photos. I'd always been a decent writer. And I just start storytelling from Liberia, West Africa to the 15,000 people on my club list that I've been getting drunk for 10 years. And I mean, it's, it was an abrupt change. I mean, if you were on my email list, you it's would have like gotten invited. It's like like flip on the light, right? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like, yeah, you know, come to the Prada opening, you know, the Prada store opening in Soho. Two months later, it's like, I don't know, you're getting a, a, a photos of leprosy. <laughs> um, hey, I'm in a leprosy colony, and you know, here, here are the patients that I'm meeting, and, or uh, here's a, a kid suffocating to death on his own face with a giant facial tumor. So there were definitely some unsubscribes. Yeah. <laughs> Take me off, not what I signed up for. But, but I learned in that moment, A, the power of the personal transformation was interesting to people who had partied with me, who yeah. knew me as one thing not as the guy who would care about the poor in Liberia, not as a guy who would be uh, you know, pouring my heart out really in these stories as I would meet people and learn about their hardship and their sickness and their disease. And so there was a personal interest. And then there was this, 
I, I, it's so hard to find the right word for this, but almost like a wistfulness. Mm. You know, so I would write yes. these yeah. stories and people would say, how do I go do that? Like, how would I find my way to an opposite experience like that? I remember once uh, I'd sent out a post about uh, somebody maybe blind and with cataracts and we'd given them eye surgery. And the, the email comes back and this woman says, you know, I'm sitting here at my desk in Chanel. It's brightly lit and I have tears streaming down my face. People wonder, what is wrong with me? But I just had no idea that these problems existed, that, the, that these pr there were solutions that people could be helped like this. So I was getting really positive feedback, you know, yeah. outside of the unsubscribes. People yeah. said, how do I help? How do I give? How do I volunteer like you? How do I change my life? I, I'm, I feel stuck as well. Yeah. I don't want to sell $5,000 purses or, or $1,000 shoes. And I want my life to have meaning. So that was quite, I did that for 16 months or almost two years um, with the, the in-betweens. And, you know, among everything that I'd seen in West Africa and my travels around Africa, it was just the need for clean water. That was just the one thing that, that rose. So um, I was in leprosy coma. It just felt like the one thing that wasn't okay on my watch. And maybe it was because I had sold Voss water for $10 in clubs to people who wouldn't even open the water. Just come in and, you know, you raise your hand, hi, give me 10 bottles of water and $100 of water just sits there unopened because you're drinking champagne or vodka. Um, maybe it was because I just intuitively thought that if you wanted to make people healthy, because I was with doctors who were doing expensive surgeries, why not go to the, the root yep. cause of so much of the sickness was, as it turned out, was 52% of all disease throughout the developing world Water and sanitation, it's water and toilets. So half, you could make half the sick people well by just giving them clean water and toilets. So I stumbled into that. Of all the things I saw, it was just water's gonna be my thing. It's crazy that at the time it was a sixth of the world, one out of every six human beings alive. Yep, billion Don't people have clean water, it was a billion people when we first met. And I just wanted to see that number come down to zero. And that became the mission and I came back to New York City at. 30 to try to make that a reality. So you've, that arc, that personal, you call it the prodigal son. I, I quit everything, I should say this, that I, I did the hard work of going cold turkey. Mm -hmm. um, I drink a little bit, but I, I never smoked again. You know, and I went out with a bang. I mean, there was the there was a, there was a moment. This is my last There party. was the last <laughs> hurrah, Chase. I, I kid you not, I was about to board the hospital ship the next morning and sailed to Africa with a group of doctors and humanitarians. I'm like, I am going out with a bang. I mean, I think I had eight beers, three packs of Marlboro Reds. I boarded the ship that next day with blister packs of nicotine gum and a patch. Like I'm going. I'm like, I gotta quit. Uh, but I never smoked again and I never looked at a pornographic image. And this is what, 13 or 14 years again. I never set foot in a strip club. I, uh, I never touched Coke or X or any, any of that stuff again. Um, I never gambled again, you know, and I speak in Vegas all the time. I loved gambling, but I really just said, I need to do the hard work, uh, shed all these vices in order to allow a new story for my life. And I, you know, I didn't want to just kind of have one foot in both worlds, the old world and like, uh, you know, I, I like, 
beer and wine too much. That's probably my, my one last vice. I never trust anyone with no vices. But uh, Fair. That, that's a lot harder in the 40s now with two kids. And, you know, <laughs> you, have three, glasses, you have three glasses of wine, you wake up at 5.30 with the kids and you're in pain. <laughs> that used to be like the, the preamble to the night. <laughs> right, that's, that's getting started. So without, I think, without um, reinventing charity, the giving part of charity, I think it's fair to say that you reinvented how charities could be. For me, the, like one of the reasons that I connected with you and Charity Water, aside from mutual friends, is it just it looked and felt like the thing that I want to contribute to. So in large part, you've mm. you created a mission and a vision, something that was so foundational. Like I, I always like to go back to first principles. Water is mm -hmm. the sort of an equivalent of a first principle, um, and you did it with simplicity, with elegance. It's the equivalent, I feel like, um, I'm gonna loud some compliments on you here. It's the equivalent of what Tesla is to cars or Apple is to technology. Um, and you made it contemporary. You gave it's me- It's okay to say cool. Yeah, cool. You made it- Should be. Yeah. It, like giving and generosity and compassion and empathy should be cool. Right. And- it Should be fun. It should be. And so did you set out with that in mind or was that a, was that a you know, was that a, a, a key principle, a core value, that it was going to you know, be all those things? Or did that just emanate from you as, a, you know, as a, a cool person, an empathetic, kind, understanding mm -hmm. person? Because like, there's, you know, there's a, yeah. sort of a brand associated with you. You built mm -hmm, a brand, mm -hmm. which is it's, it's required, and I think it's one of the things that differentiates you. I talk about this a lot in the book, because I think this, this part asking. could actually help people. Um, you mentioned mission and vision. So... The mission was to bring clean drinking water to everyone on the planet. So the mission is accomplished when no human being alive is drinking bad water, putting their life at risk. However, the vision is actually very, very different than that. The vision, as you said, was to reinvent charity, was to reimagine the giving experience. And, you know, let me riff on that a little bit. So I had the, I had the unique advantage of starting the organization at 30 with no charitable experience, and no circle of friends who gave money, did anything <laughs> charitable, really. So as I go and tell everyday 30-year-old party people, hey, I'm gonna bring clean drinking water to the entire world, they look at me like I have six heads. And in conversations, I realized that there was, they weren't giving. There was a huge cynicism and skepticism and a lack of trust with charity. and. Some of it was very, very well-founded. Other wasn't. But you know, somebody, everybody would have a horror story they could pull out of their back pocket and say, oh, the charity that raised $2 billion for X disaster and is still sitting on a billion 10 years later, right? Yeah. Or the CEO who's paying himself millions and millions of dollars and hiring his cousins and nephews for his charity and they don't actually do anything or the high overheads or everybody seemed to have an excuse. And I learned there was data behind this. 42% of Americans polled said they just didn't trust charities. And this shocks people because no one is more generous than Americans, right? Of all the countries in the world, we have this philanthropic heritage. I mean, Americans give money, but yet almost half the country doesn't trust the system. 70% uh, of Americans, interestingly, polled by NYU, when asked about how charities handle money, 70% said they believe charities either waste money 
or badly waste money. 30% of people thought charities were good stewards and did the right thing with money. So for me, that was the big problem I was going to have to solve to make any meaningful impact on the water crisis, to move the needle in any substantial way helping humans get clean water. We would have to address the cynicism, the skepticism, and build a completely new construct. So I just started trying to address those objections through the business model. Okay, well, the number one objection was, I don't know where my money's going. I don't know how much is actually going to reach the people that you're saying you want you know, me to help. All right, well, what if it was 100%? Then you couldn't use that excuse. So what if I said 100% of whatever you give, whether it's a dollar or a million dollars, will directly help people get clean water? And As in not fund operations? No overhead, no staff, not my salary, not my flights, not the office, not the copy machine, not the phone bill, not the you know insurance. Uh, what if 100% could go to the field? And I didn't actually know how we would make that work, but I just opened up two bank accounts and said, one bank account is where we're going to put all the public's money. This second bank account is going to be for overhead, and somehow we're going to figure out how to fill it. So we can eventually hire an employee one day, and then a second employee if it works. So that was the 100% model. The second thing was, okay, well, money is actually not fungible with this organization then. If you put that stake in the ground, so we can do really cool things tracking the dollars coming in and where 100% of them went. So we could say, okay, $6 came in from this girl who said in her allowance, here's where it went out. And it wound up in Malawi or wound up in, in this village in Orissa, India. So that was the proof pillar. Really the second pillar was, okay, give away 100% of the public's money. Take that objection off the table too. Just show them what you did with it. Transparency. And yeah, transparency and showing impact. If you give money and you can see that it actually changed somebody's lives, you're more inclined to give again. And for what it's worth, like photographs of wells And, and yeah, doing this visually. Photos, GPS, uh, visual. We have drilling rigs now that have Twitter accounts and they tweet their location. And just, we, we found you know, 20 ways to do that that have been, I think, interesting. Totally innovative, time. yeah. But the core principle was proof. Show people where their money goes let them see their impact. The third thing, third pillar was brand. And as I looked at the charitable sector, I just saw bad anemic brands. I saw lame charities. Yeah. There was a poverty mentality in their branding or just a lack of talent, yeah. a lack of taste. Uh, charities would put up white papers and say, Chase, I'd really like you to read a 121 page paper about the water crisis written by some academic, you know, with and, and you wouldn't even get past page one. There was a, a study, the New York Times, a New York Times article that, that cited a study done of a huge charity's website, which I will not name. And the charity put lots of PDFs and documents up. They found that 70% of the PDFs had received not one Zero. download. Zero downloads. <coughs> okay, so if that's, that's an extreme case, but if that's the old way, the other thing I would say is that there was pervasive shame and guilt-based marketing. Charities would say, show you a picture of a kid with flies on his we face. We talked about this. Sally Struthers commercials from the 80s, the, yeah. the leftovers of that, the sad eyes and the flies landing on the face in slow motion as the 800 number stripes and, and it says, please give. You know, this kid's gonna die if you don't give. And it works, like people give, they pull yeah. out their wallet. But nobody tells their friends about that charity, nobody yeah. wears that t-shirt. Yeah. There's no, you know, word of mouth dies when a charity makes you feel shameful or guilty about what you have. And you know, I thought early on, I said, the great brands don't do this. Apple doesn't do this. Yeah. Nike doesn't do this. Imagine if Nike told you you're fat and 
ugly and lazy, turn buy off the television shoes. and go for a run. Would you like some shoes? Yeah, and by the way, please buy our shoes. And, and nobody would want to go for a run. Yeah. Nobody wants to be talked down to or shamed. Nike's brilliant. They say there's greatness within you, Chase. If you've lost a leg, we believe you can complete a marathon in record time. You know, if you don't have an arm, you can still shot put or play basketball. Like there's greatness within you. You can overcome adversity. And they just storytell and storytell about all these people. And you kind of say, yes, That's someone that believes that. in yeah, me. Yeah. I'm gonna turn the TV off. I'm gonna try and eat better. I'm gonna try and run. And I wanna wear the symbol of someone that believes there's greatness within inside me and I can actually do it. And then I, I wear their clothes. And charities just don't do that. There wasn't this fun and joy and inspiration. You've heard um, give back, you know, oh my gosh, I'm, I throw up inside my mouth every time I hear a company talking about giving back. The language makes it seem as if, you know, the company or, or the individual has, you know, pillaged and plundered to such a degree yeah. that it's finally time to throw some scraps back to the poor. And, you know, if, if I, you know, here, hold this book, you know, take this from say, give it back. <laughs> right? Or, you know, I'd like to give something to you. So giving should, I think, should be framed in the positive. I just say drop the language with back. Just talk about our giving program. Yeah. Talk about our family's uh, philosophy of giving. Frame giving in the positive because it's a joy and an honor and a blessing to give out of the abundance, to give our time, to give our talent, to give our money, to be of service to others. Not as a sense of repaying a debt, not out of shame, not out of obligation. So we just nailed this stuff early on and said, yeah. let's make this about hope. Let's make it about opportunity. Let's make it fun. We are inviting people to a party where the whole world gets clean water. You wanna come? Who does Do you wanna come with your dollar or your million dollars? Do you wanna come with your birthday? Do you wanna come with your fundraising campaign? Do you wanna come with your volunteer hours? You're invited, you're invited. Like we've literally been saying you're invited for 11 years, not you have to, not you need to, not you really should because you're so rich, but hey, do you wanna come along? You're invited. We're doing this really cool thing and this community of people is just inspiring us every day and they're going above and beyond. And so that's, that's the kind of, I guess that's how we think about brand. Um, and then and the those fourth, are the, those, are, those the, are the three pillars. And then the fourth you know, corner, I guess, of the house would be working with local partners. And you know, nobody like me should be drilling wells in Africa. Or India. I do not have a role as a hydrologist. I do not have a role rowing into you know, a rural village in Bangladesh trying to train the community on water, sanitation, and hygiene. I have a role in becoming an advocate for this issue, getting everyday people to care and act, but the, for the work to be impactful and sustainable and culturally appropriate, it has to be led by the locals. Yeah. So we just got that right early on. We said, we'll raise the awareness and the money but all the work across the world has to be led by the local heroes. They are the ones that are gonna be celebrated as heroes. And you know, to us, success is spending $50 million in Ethiopia, me rolling into Ethiopia and having no idea who we are. Charity water. Yep. But our local partners celebrate yeah. that the local heroes, the people that are actually making it happen on the ground. So those four things, you know, giving away 100% and proving where people's money goes and just building and imaginative and inspirational brand and working with local parts, that sounds like common sense. Yeah. It doesn't sound like we did anything that innovative. It just wasn't really how things were done 10 years ago. So I think that the framework that you put in the book here and that you built Charity Water on, to me that's beautiful because you know, that, that exists in so many areas of the world 
the same opportunity to grow and reinvent or reinvent a thing that had been broken. Because charity, mm -hmm. you didn't invent charity, but yeah. you just reinvented and using technology. And I think, like, we, we, I felt like we, we talked about that in our other conversation, but there's an, you built an amazing technology platform that allows you to give for your birthday. And there's just, it's beautiful. You should go check it out. Mm -hmm. Let's, if we can pivot for just a second from your personal narrative is incredibly inspiring and to, to watch what you've built with Charity Water, you know, high five and all of the, all of the accolades because you've earned it and it's impressive and it's incredible. What I'm trying to, to get out of the next couple of minutes is what are some do's and don'ts? Because there's a lot of folks who listen who want to have impact and I yeah. think most of the people that I know, if you're a creator and what you want to do is you want to go create a new charity. So I see mm -hmm. a lot of that and I have yeah. sent some people your way and said, you know, here's my friend Scott, you know, if you want to get involved, you should talk to him first because mm -hmm. he built this from the ground up. So there's a lot of people at home watching and listening and say, I want to give. What do you, which is someone who's been in this system for so long yeah. and you've seen the ups, the downs, you've built it from the ground up. What do you recommend? I think most people should find something and join it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very long, hard road. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I talk about some of the struggles in the book and burning out and, you know, wanting to quit and uh, the, the moments of near insolvency. And, you were, you know, a couple of those, so that can, these are teasers for the book. You were within moments of insolvency, and yeah. then um, a very the, generous gentleman. A stranger yeah. walked in and gave a million dollars. Complete stranger. Um, I mean, there, there've really been some some miracle moments. But had that not happened, we're not sitting here. Yeah. And you know, I'm not back in nightclubs, but I'm 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 not running a, you know, organization. Yeah. Uh, that's helping people get clean water. So it's it's very difficult. So I normally try and talk most people out of it okay. because they haven't counted the costs and. Um, or a lot of people try and do it part time. Yeah. That's great, but you're just not going to make that kind of an impact. You know, I mean, this is this has been all in. This is year twelve, and you know, maybe I'm down to fifty hours a week now with you know a couple young kids at home. But it was a hundred hours a week. It was this. Yeah. All it was consuming. The, it was the all consuming. Uh, you're all in trying to build it, and you're gonna die at any moment. Like you are never. You know, people said like somewhere around year four or five. Oh, you should write a book. I'm like, I don't even know if this organization would be around by the pub date, yeah. you know? Like, we may be insolvent in three weeks yeah. <laughs> or three months. So I, I do think too, you know, that said, there may be people that say, there's just this problem and I just can't shake it. It's not okay on my watch. Maybe it's a justice issue. Maybe it's hunger. Maybe it's the fact that people are going to bed without a roof over their head. You know, they're sleeping in, in water and they're cold and they're huddling. Um, I would say we also need more social entrepreneurs who are willing to count the cost and go all in and make a life of this. Not do it for a year or three years, but do it for decades. You know, some, some of the great organizations, I mean, you look at the Salvation Army, you know, th these are multi-decade commitments by a founder. This isn't kind of a, oh, I'm going to do some charity or I'm going to give back. You know, I hear that all the time. Someone will, will approach us about a job and they worked at Facebook or Google you know, made a bunch of money and you know, they want to do like a year to, to get back. That, that's okay and sometimes they can find ways to be useful, but um, we also are in need of people who will become advocates for causes, go deep. I, I literally feel like we are just now getting good at what we do in year 12. I mean, we're just now getting, it takes, it takes the 10,000 hours. We yeah. did so many boneheaded things. I mean, I write about some of the failed water projects and we just, we screwed up a lot let's in the talk, beginning. Rather than failed water products, projects, because I think you do a nice job of capturing that, let's talk about some big missteps you did in building a charity. 
There weren't that many. As you said earlier, you got a lot right, but I know you got a couple wrong. Like, what would those be? Well, the model is incredibly difficult. I mean, I talk everyone out of the 100% model. I mean, yeah. you, you basically have to do two things at once and run them in perfect balance. I mean, from a, from a business, so we've now raised about $320 million and um, the, the, all of the money that we raise from the public, we can't ever touch to pay the now 80 staff in New York City, the office, the, the flights. We can, from a business model approach, go bankrupt with $100 million in the bank. And we, we couldn't touch it. We would yeah. not make payroll. Yeah. Like 80 checks would, whatever, however, direct debits, <laughs> right? 80 direct debits would bounce. Um, but yet we'd have $100 million for water projects on its way out to go help you know, 3 million humans. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's, been, that's been challenging. And, and the way that we fund the overhead, there are 130 generous families, many of them entrepreneurs who you know, yep. the founders of Twitter and Facebook and Spotify and executives at Apple and these 130 families are paying for our 80 staff and our office and our flights, but it's incredibly difficult. And uh, we, didn't, we didn't count the cost early on. Yeah. That million dollar gift allowed us enough of a reprieve to go out and build that second business. But had that not happened, we would have flamed. Let's, um, let's, let's, I wanna find a way to hear some really, really good news. Talk to me about prog progress. Yeah. In attacking the, the problem. Well, the cool thing now is we're helping about 3,500 people a day this year. So today, you know, I woke up and I went to work and had some meetings today and, and did a podcast and now I get to see you. And by the time I go to work tomorrow, 3,500 humans will have gone from drinking dirty water to clean water. So we're on a run rate of about a million and a half people a year. Um, so I was at Madison Square Garden uh, recently with my wife and... Uh, for the Drake show? No, it was Depeche Mode, actually. <laughs> nice. they, just, they just raised a couple million dollars for us. And I actually Incredible. got to... Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. And, wow. But I looked around and I said, honey, we're doing this every four days. Like the volume people. So you have these moments of, like, we are filling MSG at capacity, you know, for a yeah. concert. Every four days, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all the people with dirty water walked into a stadium, right, and moved from dirty water to clean water. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we just did it again. So that's exciting. Um, it's taken us 12 years to get to that point. Sure. And, you know, we've done, I think, 8.49 million people. I know it exactly. It's 8.49 million people across 29,500 villages. So that's 180th of the global problem now. The, the problem is down from a billion people without water to 670. So eight and a half million against 670 million, okay, 180th. Crazy. 1.2%, a little more depressing way to look at it. Yeah. 180th like sounds better. One. Yeah, I like the other one. Um, but you kind of think like, oh wow, I can imagine this problem being solved, right? If we just did 80 times more, and it's not just us, there's all these other great water groups that yeah. are starting up and are also growing and the awareness of this issue is growing. So that's the good news. Um, it's harder now than it was at any point. So the, the bigger your scale is, the more challenges you have. Raising the overhead is actually a big challenge at the moment because the water growth is outpacing the 130 families. Yeah. So I'm spending a lot more of my time going out and finding family number 131, family number 132. Yeah. Hey, could you please help us on the other side, on the ops and overhead side. You still call it the well? Still call it the well. Yeah. 
Um, and it's, a, it's an amazing group of unselfish givers that, that trust us. Yeah. Like, I want to pay for the software engineer. Because yeah. your software engineer could be a Google making double, or I want to pay for the accountant's salary, or the, the water program's engineer, the hydrologist's salary. Um, so it's, 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 it's good. I mean, we're, we're going to do 10, we're going to get 10 million people clean water, you know, and, and we're going to be there in 14 months. You know, 10 million, that feels like wow. something. That's legit. And, and just more, uh, we've got, we, we did a business pivot at year 10 from the birthday idea, which mm-hmm. I know you've been a part of before mm-hmm. and a lot of people have heard about. And we said the birthdays are great. You know, people are giving up their birthdays for charity water and the fundraising campaigns. We raised about $50 million that way, but no one's doing a second birthday. So we just have to keep finding new people. This is yeah. exhausting. Yeah. Right? I can't make more than 100 flights a year. I can't make more than 150 speeches or whatever. It's just, you just can't do that. So we said, what if we move to subscription model? What if we try and build a Netflix or Spotify of charities? And those same people say, can you show up every month, please? $10 a month, $30 a month, $100 a month, whatever you could give. But uh, we were pretty practical about it. We said, this one time, we had a million givers give once. January 1, we'd start at zero. We'd go raise $50 million and, you know, oh wow, it's amazing. It's a million dollars a week. We, all these people gave. And then January 1, it, it, yeah. it goes all the way back to zero. It's like... Starting over. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Go to jail. Like, do not pass go. And we said, well, Netflix's business isn't like that. And HBO's business isn't like that. And Spotify's business isn't like that. And Dropbox's business isn't like that. They just have a lot of people who are showing up month in and month out, getting value from the content, from the storage and whatnot. We said, what if we create a subscription program for pure good where 100% of that value every month is getting passed on to the poorest people in the world? I called it The Spring. I thought that would be a nice name. Yes, you know, well played, nice brand, it, uh, great job. You know, double entendre, right? Yes, Beautiful spring, spring water spring, and water spring. from the earth and, and, a, and a time of new beginnings for people, many of these communities will talk about the history of their community before the water and after the water. Like it's how they tell yeah, the story, like, yeah. before it came and after it came. So we called it the spring and we said, hey look, we're gonna anchor around $30 a month. We think there's a lot of people out there that could give 30 bucks a month, it's a dollar a day. And that's what it costs us to get one human being clean water. So every $30 I can move someone from dirty water to clean water. And this launched, uh, what about a 3,000 a day? That's 9,000, 10,000. God, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I just did the rough math there. That's yeah. big money. Yeah. Um, and that's just on the water side too. Yeah. So um, that now is an amazing community. It's grown to 100 countries. Interestingly, the average is $29.5. So we have a lot of university kids giving 10 bucks. Yeah. We have people uh, giving their allowance. We have people, you know, I don't want to say this, but we have people canceling HBO and we have people <laughs> canceling right. some of these subscription services to actually be a part of the spring with limiters. And then we have people giving 100 bucks a month and 300 bucks yeah. a month and 500 bucks a month. So the spring is now, uh, it's the fastest growing part of the business. Uh, almost 30,000 people from 100 countries. It's up 220% year over year. Huge. It's just growing as the story spreads. Um, But in the best way possible, because I don't have to start January 1 at zero, I start with 30,000 people who are like, we're in this. You keep doing your part. You keep being transparent. Keep telling us stories of impact and where our money's going. And we'll keep giving. And the impact just grows and grows and grows and grows. That is 
an incredible story. You've done a masterful job of capturing a book. Congratulations on writing 150,000 words about yourself and your life story. I it's worked truly, with an amazing writer as well. Her name was Lisa. It's true. She helped get a lot of it uh, on the page, and we she came to Africa with me, and we wow. we we talked a lot. Truly, <laughs> she became truly a, a third remarkable. member of the family for about a year and a half. Truly remarkable. Uh, Thirst by Mr. Scott Harrison. It's always a pleasure to sit we with you. We should say I'm not making a penny off the book. Yeah, so you've donated all, your entire. All the advance. proceeds go to Charity Water. The advance, the proceeds. So. I really would hope yeah, this book this, um, yeah, goes and it. actually helps people get clean water. Uh, besides, maybe you know, inspiring some people that uh, it's never too late. I mean, you know, if uh, I guess that's the theme, you know, for people out there, you know, on a personal level, it is never too late to change. Um, if a you know, if a scumbag like me can kind of find you know redemption and purpose um, in service to others. You know, you will read this. You are not as bad as me. I can guarantee you. I can guarantee uh, it'd be you'd be hard pressed to find yourself in any lower predicament uh, than I was. And you know, I have a beautiful wife and a beautiful family, and I get to help thirty five hundred people get clean water. And I'm I'm Every. surrounded by amazing team members and volunteers and partners. And you know, it's 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 an incredible thing to do. I I, I still kind of pinch myself as hard as it is. You know, what did you do today? Like, we got 3,500 humans clean water. But that's why, whether the folks at home are listening and they're interested in charitable giving or building a business, like, I think that what's what's at the core of your story, which is um, super resonant, is the story of transformation. Transformation of a human, transformation of an industry, of a model, of a problem. The fact that it's gone from a billion to 670 thousand six hundred seventy million yeah. we've taken yeah. off a third yeah. of the problem yeah that's collectively the, the world pick up the book all the proceeds are going to charity water uh congratulations Thanks, huge buddy. huge win on the book and uh i promise to get you out of here and i'm six minutes late thanks buddy <laughs> see you thank you for being on the show Thanks. everybody we could have talked forever we could we could and uh I'll, Thank you so much, man. Well, you have keep, to, I'll invite praying. myself back, and then we could do like two hours and talk about so We should do one in Africa yeah. sometime. We should totally, like, you should come on a trip, and we should bring some 5Ds and, and rock it out in, uh, I don't know, like we've, Ethiopia. We've got some people who might want to come along. Creative Live Ethiopia, come on. Thank you so much, bud. Hey, everybody, pay attention to Scott. At Charity Water, pretty much everywhere. At Scott Harrison, also. Yep. And thanks again for being a part of the show. See you probably tomorrow, hopefully. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm gonna go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just wanna say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work. 
but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow. And I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.